listening to Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Hawks Insiders podcast, our Sunday night post-match player review podcast this evening um, after a bitterly, bitterly disappointing loss to the Swans uh, on the back of what we thought would possibly be a response to the devastatingly bad Essendon game. We didn't quite get the response we were after, and we have a couple of my uh, colleagues here uh, co-hosting and we're going to break it down. We're going to work out what went right, if anything, and what went wrong, which will probably take up the vast majority of this pod. Uh, very happy to be joined and wallowing in this defeat with uh, both of my co-hosts this evening. Firstly, Andrew Weiss, good evening to you. Uh, it's probably one of the most sombre introductions I've had in my time in Hawks Insiders. Thanks, Brinzi. Look, I think uh, we know the path and the journey that we're on, and I feel like there are going to be quite a few of these pods throughout the year that we come on and, and just have to think beforehand about uh, how just how negative we're prepared to be. But the reality is it was a really poor performance. There are some positives to take out of it and, and we know where we're at in terms of the journey but uh yeah it's going to be a pretty solemn pod I, th- I feel well you're on here for your positivity mate so if you're if you're coming <laughs> I'll in see like what that, I can do I'll tonight. see what I can do I'll see what I can muster up well let's see if our uh, other co-host Darren Levine has any more in his arsenal or if it's more of the same Darren welcome to you Thanks, Prinzi. I actually just have one question for, without notice for both of you. It's, did we cut too deep? What do you reckon? <laughs> Can we wait for Damo to tell us on Friday morning? That's right, yeah. Well, I think um, I actually really enjoy, there's a, there was a headline on um, AFL.com.au lamenting uh, Fremantle's midfield mix and how they've got it horribly, horribly wrong. And it's just a big shot of Jager in full focus with the North boys celebrating behind him. So that made me feel a little bit better. In saying that, he kicked he kicked two last quarter goals, which I feel like is two more goals than he kicked in most of his Hawthorne career. So fair play to Jager uh, the other night. It wasn't enough to get him over the line, though. No, it wasn't. And, you know, it's I think um, Tom Mitchell's also equaled his uh, uh, best, best season tally for a long time for the Pies. So it's uh, good luck to him and let's let's move on. Absolutely. Well, uh, it was a very disappointing uh, 118, so 17, 16, 118 to the Swans to 4, 13, 37 to the Hawks, uh, an 81-point loss. It had all the hallmarks of a 100-pointer at certain stages, uh, managed to avoid that, um, but really the reality is completely and utterly outplayed by a far superior side. And Sam Mitchell's uh, comments post-match were that, you know, we have to be uh, realistic that Sydney played in a grand final last year. Um, They are a very, very good football side. They didn't let us settle at all, but we also shot ourselves in the foot through our lack of execution, our poor skills, um, decision-making and, and all of those things. So we will get through and we'll go through the pod now we're going to rate every player. We're going to go in deep. We're going to go two 
two foot studs up, ankle height, wherever we need to. Um, but we're also going to try to find those silver linings, which we need to be able to hold on to. To borrow a phrase from another podcast I listen to, we need to keep hold of our joy where we can and we need to find our joy and keep hold of it. So we will try to do that as well this evening and hopefully uh, just just pick up a, a few of the positives that were there today. So first things first, we'll get stuck into it. I'm going to throw straight to you, EC. The man who last year was always our last um, cab off the rank is at, so far this year our first cab off the rank, Jai Newcomb. Uh, number three um, in the Lee Matthews number with the Lee Matthews Legends Guernsey today for the first time, had 25 disposals, 16 kicks, nine handballs, five marks, four tackles, kicked a behind. Want to get your thoughts on Jai this afternoon, see. Yeah, well, you asked me to bring the positivity, right? So it was a better game from Jai than last week. There, how's that? Um, look, tw- 25 touches, which usually in itself suggests that he's had a pretty good impact on on a game of footy. But uh, personally, I thought he was fairly unnoticeable. I didn't think he was very damaging with them. I think looking at those... Stats, you know, fifteen of his of his possessions were uncontested, um, and and together with Warple, I mean, we've done all right in in terms of contested footy for the day, but he's won all of or majority of his possessions receiving, and I don't feel like he had a significant impact on the game. Um, so um, I think he kicked it behind as well that he, you know, he had a. a good enough chance to slot one through and, and that was a bit messy. So um, I, I'm going to give him a four and a half. I think he's not quite there to get the pass mark in terms of actually his output, despite the fact that he touched it 25 times. Well, it's a, we're, we're starting, we're starting harsh. If, if Jai's getting a four and a half, I think do, we can count. I think we can count how many people are getting a five or more today. Do you on think one he hand. gets a putt? Do you think actually, uh, notwithstanding what everyone else has done, because it's not about rating him against everyone else, do you think his game gets a pass? Yeah, he get well, he'd get a pass for me, but it wouldn't be much more than that. I don't think you're far off the mark, in, in my opinion. But um, you know, I think. Especially, I think the Swans put a lot of time into him as well. And you could see that last week, the Bombers did too. I think he worked through that really well. I think he finished with um, 15 or 16 touches in the second half, which I think is a is a great effort. Um, and 14 touches in the second half, eight in the last quarter. So, you know, I think he worked his way into the game well. Five clearances, um, only the 320 metres gained. So for me, he probably gets a pass, um, but... I'm happy to happy to stick with uh, with your your uh, summation there there Andrew um, Daz we're going to move straight on to Jarman Impey who last week had 18 touches at 100% disposal efficiency this week he had 23 touches um, but only 65% disposal efficiency he had 12 kicks 11 handballs six marks uh, and. Not a lot else on the uh, on the stat sheet opposed to that. He had one clearance and he had 305 metres gained for a player who probably makes a living off his metres gained, his dash off halfback. We didn't see a lot of that today. Um, your thoughts on Jars today, Daz? Yeah, well, I think the key stat, unfortunately, for Jars is um, he had five turnovers and 
think he was as guilty as anyone of turning the ball over in the back half of the ground, which put our back line under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I, I think Jars is probably the least of our problems, but, uh, you know, it was... I actually was full of praise for him in, in round one, and I, I, I don't think it was a great game this time, despite him getting his hands on, on the footy a lot. He's trying really hard, and um, you can't really fault his effort. Um putting pressure on and, and, and but he's, he, he, it was a sloppy game for him, unfortunately. And yeah, uh, you know, just, just expect a bit better from, from who is now a senior player for our team. So um, it's a four, number four. Makes sense. And (laughs) just one per number. And uh, does he, if he doesn't get a pass, does he keep his spot in the side for next week for you? I think he does because I, I, I do think, um, you know, we we need that senior sort of leadership in the back, and I, I don't think he was um, our worst player there. And um, you know, I think he he had a pretty promising start to the year. And again, another player that's kind of getting back to to kind of full fitness. He had a, a really interrupted year last year, so I'd give him another couple of weeks in the side before I swung the axe. All right, fantastic. Moving on to number five, a man who is uh, enjoying a little bit of a rebirth early this year, um, James Warple. 22 disposals, 14 kicks, eight handballs, three marks, three tackles. He kicked a goal. Uh, He had 16 contested disposals, nine uncontested disposals, five turnovers, uh, but he did go at 73% disposal efficiency. We see what were your thoughts on James Warple? Yeah, so I'm glad I get him after the Newcomb conversation because I think they're a really good direct comparison. He's had a few less touches, but he had eight inside 50s. He had six clearances. Majority of his touches were contested. He kicked the goal, six score involvements. So they're all very positive stats. And I think what's more important is that the whole game, like he's working and trying so hard off the back of last week and off the back of then the couple of years before it, like he's just turned 24. So when we talk about positives and you put him next to Newcomb's performance, I go like, you can't, you can't compare the two and how they went today. So I thought he was one of the few positives, still plenty more he could be doing to impact the game. Um, but yeah, he definitely gets a pass for me. I gave him a five and a half. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair rating. Also very interesting, he spent 30 minutes off the ground in this game, which I would have thought is relatively high for a you know midfielder with good endurance. But um, yeah, almost 500 metres gain too, which is a fantastic effort for, for Warps. But also then, if you consider his stats, then in the context of playing three quarters of football, they're actually fantastic. He, they're really he couldn't good. really ask for more. So No, I was backing you up with that one. Yeah, yeah. He's had a good day. Yeah, fantastic. Um, moving on to the skipper, Daz, um, James Sicily. Uh, maybe not as good as last week, I think it's fair to say. Uh, 25 disposals, 14 kicks, 11 handballs, 7 marks, 2 tackles. Uh, he had six contested possessions, uh, 14 uncontested, four turnovers, six intercepts. 
uh, and just the 400 uh, meters gained. We know that James can rack up the meter, uh, the meters gained when he is on form. So what were your thoughts on Sicily in today's game? Yeah, well, I think that that really sums it up. And he wasn't his damaging self. I think he was just too busy, just absolutely getting, you know, the, the ball kind of flying over his head or flying towards him. And it was an uncharacteristically bad game from Sis. And it doesn't happen very often, but uh, yeah, I think he had a, he, he was, he struggled. And, and again, I don't think it's completely his fault. I think he was having to play. He was, he's, he's kind of at his best when he, when he's got a, a really rock solid defensive unit around him and he's allowed to sort of roam and play that free role. He's having to defend a lot today. And um, it just, yeah, couldn't get his. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't use his kind of biggest weapon, which which is that penetrating kick, and you know the meters gain really sums that up. So, not the best day at the office for Sis. And you know, I don't know whether there's question marks on his leadership. We're two games into the season, but I'm not. I'm not really kind of seeing the the demonstrated kind of leadership skills that you would normally see. Maybe stuff happens off the ground or, you know, training, but he's a very chill leader. And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to see a bit more demonst- demonstrated leadership out there from Sis, if I'm being honest. So what you're saying is you want uh, a repeat of the Taylor Jure incident uh, from, <laughs> from a few years back. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind. Uh, it'll come out, I reckon. We're, we're a few weeks. Copy paste so, things. It will. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, I want to see angry Sis back. Um, but you know, maybe he's maybe he's this is all part of his journey as a leader in 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 retaining some sort of calmness under fire. And um, you know, I just I I think our backline being really dysfunctional, I don't know whose fault is it is. Maybe it's the team kind of, you know, we've got a, a new backline coach in Cade Simpson. Maybe it's the the mix that we've got in there without Scrimshaw, a, a bit of inexperience in there as well. So there's something really dysfunctional about the back line and I can't just be blamed on Sis, but he's the, the skipper and he's back in that defensive line. So, you know, he's got to take a bit of credit for that, unfortunately. Absolutely. Does he get a rating from you today or? No, oh, I'm going to give him, I'll give him a four and a half. Okay. Uh, moving on to the tallest man on the ground and the tallest man to ever play for Hawthorne. Were you aware of that, Weezy? There's a little stat for you. Uh, Ned Reeves, I think the least said about Ned's game today, probably the better. Uh, four disposals, uh, two kicks, two handballs. He had 14 hitouts uh, and not much else. He, look, he only played 40 minutes and was subbed out early as a tactical substitution. Um but not great, not great. What uh, what say you, Andrew Weiss? I'll tell you what worries me about Reeves today, and and I'll I'll preface what I'm going to say by saying that we're two rounds into the Meek Reeves combination, and they're young, and there's time, and they've got to keep playing together, and they'll they'll work it out. It's going to take some time. It's fine. Um, I always thought that Ben McAvoy was a better ruckman when he was the only ruckman, when he took 90% of ruck duties across a whole game of footy. And when Reeves left the game, Meek looked that much better for it. 
it's a really small sample size and we've known what meat can do, but having been stuck behind Darcy for the last few years, I hope that that's not what is going to, you know, what it's going to take for us to get the best out of meat. Um, but the reality is that Reeves had a poor, poor game today um, and we were actually better in that department once he was out of the game or off the ground. So, um, yeah, I think, as you said, uh, it clearly wasn't a very good game for him today. I'd maybe give him a two and a half, um, which might we might have just created history. That That could be one of the lowest ratings I've ever given um but yeah the night's oh. still early oh and <laughs> sam frost is up next so <laughs> uh well luckily i don't have to give it so um but you know like i said at the start there's a long long road ahead with everyone and everything that we're talking about and we'll we'll get there they'll work it out eventually and they're still kids as ruckman um yeah it's just gonna take maybe a bit more time and effort than everyone thought because at the start of the season, we were a bit cock-a-hoop about finally having a couple of ready-to-go key ruckmen, and, and maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. Yeah, and Reeves is coming back from a shoulder reconstruction as well, right? So um, he's probably trying to find some continuity in his football uh, and, you know, not making excuses. He was poor today, but, um, you know, they're probably, they're probably especially for a ruckman, um, you know, the shoulder's pretty important. Um, maybe he's just trying to find a bit of confidence in that. Um, does he keep his spot for you, WC? Yeah, he definitely keeps his spot. Uh, the reality is, you know, Ramsden's had a had a quiet time of things lately and um, and Lynch is the other. Um, but as I mentioned in the spaces last week, unless Lynch is coming in as a permanent forward, I'd be sticking with these two as, as my right combination. And there are going to be plenty of days like this. It's just a little bit scary to think about what might happen when we come up against decent Ruckman. Um, because with all due respect to Peter Laddams, who... Daz's man, know, Peter Laddams. Daz, Daz's... He was Daz's good, own. wasn't he? Uh, I mean, he was okay. I, I'm not sure if he was good or we were just very bad. Um, but so yeah, definitely keeps his spot and got to, got to keep it moving along. Speaking of keeping it moving along, uh, Frost, Sam Frost, number eight, uh, was not the only defender well beaten today, but he was given a bath, a hot, warm, soapy bath. Um, he had six touches, four kicks, two handballs, three marks and four tackles. Uh, he went at a hundred percent in disposal efficiency. So there's a positive to, to hold on to, uh, but there wasn't much else, uh, no turnovers, but, uh, not a lot, not a lot else to write home about Darren go off the long run. Well, I think Frost, and I, I watched the game again from last week and there were some really lazy efforts from him in that last quarter and it happened again this week, fourth quarter, the game's out of reach and that half an effort on Haywood where he just skinned him, he had another bite at it, you know, should have should have taken him to ground, he gets around him and, and drills a goal. I just think that, again, senior players are supposed to be setting the standard. There's not a lot of them and so they're really exposed in the side and, you know, he, he's a 
a big issue, big, big problem for us in terms of why our backline is looking so dysfunctional. And when players like Amadi and Logan McDonald, who are pretty young themselves and finding their way in the game, just absolutely toweling him up, I think I think he's he's probably uh, going to spend a bit of time in the VFL this year. And I didn't see it at the start of the year. I thought he was one of our sort of mainstays. I've always been a big Sam Frost sort of apologist, but I'm starting to see some 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 very serious cracks in his game and the the sort of uh, those sort of lazy half efforts, um, especially when the game's when the game's gone. It just doesn't really, and again, someone in the leadership group as well. It's just, it's just a bad look. So, I'm going to actually better yours, um, Weezy, and give him a two. And does wow. he keep his spot this week, or do we put the head on the chopping block, block early doors, based on the fact that um, Denver Granger Barras was very good for Box Hill um, earlier today? Uh, against the Swans reserves, having 18 disposals and collecting 10 marks himself. Do you pull the trigger on that or do you keep Sam Frost in knowing that he's going to have a job to do against Nick Larky next week? Ooh, that is a, that really is a, a scary proposition. Frost on Larky. DGB on Larky is a pretty scary proposition as well. So I think maybe maybe we go back to what Weesey's been proposing for a while, which is Frost up forward. Bit of chaos ball, bit of, you know, uh, Frost ball that actually could work in our favour. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he gets a stay of execution, but in the forward line. Does that lead to Granger Barras playing in your mind or does that lead to we may as well put the other man out of his misery and move Cozzy back to centre back. <laughs> no, I think DGB comes in. I, I I watched a bit of the VFL today, and I think he was he was good, and he's gone gone about it the right the right way. So I would I'd love to see him get a chance against North. Moving on to number nine, Chankwath Giath. There was some messaging in our WhatsApp group, and I'm glad that this one has landed with Andrew Weiss because I'd like him to come out and say what he said in the WhatsApp group, put it on record, put your money where your mouth is. He, Giath had 17 touches, 10 kicks and seven handballs, four marks, one terrible drop mark. Um, he had four turnovers uh, and he went at, uh, he had 208 metres gained and 71% disposal efficiency. Andrew Weiss, Tell us about the comments or the messages in our WhatsApp group and bring them onto the air so that our listeners can hear them, please. Yeah. Look, I, I think that that was uh, very kind of you. I reckon he had about three or four dropped marks that he should have taken and maybe three or four other um, possessions that he fumbled that he should have been able to pick up clean, cleanly and then use. And... um. You know, I, I just feel that um, when CJ's up and about, he has the potential to be a very good footballer with that dash and run off halfback, which so do, uh, you know, 10 players on our list in that halfback role. I don't think, I, I think we've seen half a season of really good football of CJ that you know, maybe a season where he's pieced it together and we've gone, okay, he's fixed up his disposal issues 
and now he could be a really good footballer. And that was already a very long time ago. But like, was that two seasons ago? Um, so oh, it, it's, it's very difficult when you're only giving pass marks to three or four guys, right? Like he's in the same boat as so many others in terms of underperforming, but having only played one decent season of football, I need to see him to start performing because I'm starting to question whether or not he's actually got it to, to be able to hold down that position. So, um, what did you give Frosty, Daz? No, no, he's not that two. bad. Is that what we're going to be looks. doing this all look night? Look <laughs> No, no. Look, I gave him a four. He still got enough of it, and um, he was better than a lot of other players, but his performance doesn't get a pass. And, again, he, he could have been so much cleaner marking and um, and with going after the footy. Um, he could have had a much better day than he did today. And it wasn't because he was under pressure. It was just because he was fumbly. Like it wasn't, it wasn't because he was in a contest all the time. Like he dropped marks that you would expect our players to take. So um, yeah, give him a four and uh, see how he goes next week. Yeah. I think the biggest concern I have around CJ is, like you said, when he came into the league, he was actually probably one of, if not the worst kicks of the football in the league. He's worked on that, and I think he's serviceable. I think he's a decent kick. He's not great, but he's a decent enough kick. He's AFL standard kick of the football. I haven't seen the other areas of his game really progress or develop, and I think that's concerning because he has some real A-grade weapons but we don't see them consistently enough. And like you said, half the time he's playing, he's really sure about what he's doing. Other half of the time he's playing, even in dry conditions, it's like he's playing with a wet footy. He can't pick it up. So, you know, how does that happen? And how do you correct it is the biggest thing. And so positionally as well, I mean, we've talked for the last couple of years about he's the guy to move off half back because we've got so many of them to a wing. And we haven't seen that, so that's fine. So then we're talking about him as a half-back flanker. And I'm thinking when I'm watching the first half of last week and this week, Lockie Bramble's in a lot of trouble here and Scrimshaw's coming straight in for him. But at the end of each second half, I'm thinking, despite the some of the issues that Bramble presents, he's actually ahead of CJ with his output. So we'll get to Bramble down the track, but... You know, if that's the line of thinking, yeah, I think CJ is going to have to start piecing together some more consistently good football to actually be guaranteed as a mainstay yeah, think, in this. I think we should drop. Team. Whoop, whoop, we got you back. Um, I think you just cut out there a little bit, but I, I know what you're saying in, rega- in regards to putting together that consistent football over a period of time in game and then game to game. So um, moving on to Carl Amon, uh, our prize off-season recruit uh, as a free agent. Probably the one thing I'll say before you jump in and, and give your thoughts, Daz, is Carl seems like the type of player that 
the better the players around him, the better the output you get from from Carl. So, you know, with the fact that we were getting so soundly beaten across the ground, um, sometimes some of his biggest weapons, especially on a small, tight, narrow uh, SCG pitch, um, don't necessarily get highlighted lo- the way that they could. But look, uh, Amon had 23 disposals, uh, 12 kicks, 11 handballs, Three marks, he went at 83% disposal efficiency, which, you know, there was some really good use of the footy. I, I think of the kick um, from sort of half back uh, across the wing to Fergus Green, which led to, I think, the Luke Bruce goal. Um, you know, but then there was some poor poor execution as well at critical periods. And, you know, like we talked about with um, other older older, more experienced players, we can't afford for them to be making those mistakes uh, in in a game where our youngsters are going to make so many mistakes. Um, as you'd expect, Amon, 20 uncontested possessions of his 23, he had five turnovers. So that's that hurts. Um, he uh, did have 470 metres gained um, and he only had the two score involvements. Um, Daz, your thoughts on Carl Amon today? Yeah, I, I didn't think Amon was that bad today. Uh, I think he's settling in. It's going to take a while for him to settle into this team and to to figure everyone out. There's some decent passages of play, and I think he was involved in that first goal for us with uh, um, with Green and, and and then Bruce getting on the end of it. So, you know, he he he. You know, we saw in the first round with that goal that he kicked that he can be really damaging. I. I haven't seen we haven't seen the best of that yet at Hawthorne. I think what I'd like to see a bit more is that sort of two way running and you know not in the list of you know the 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 total distance covered in terms of um he he's not up there with with those guys and he's he's supposed to be a bit of a, a running machine and um yeah it's it's the, the defensive work rate that I, I think he needs to to kind of work on a little bit more um and he does have a tendency to kind of Get go in and out of games a lot. So, but I, I, you know, Amon's one of the first people I think I'd, I'd pick for next week, and I, I think he, his seniority and also his ability to deliver the, the ball into the forward fifty is really essential for us. And I just think, you know, that that sort of two way running, once he, once he kind of gets that defensive work rate up, I think he'll be a really, a really um, handy player for us. Moving on to a very different type of player, uh, Connor Nash, number 11, 19 disposals, 10, 10 kicks, nine handballs. He got a bit more of it this week and played the the full the full game after coming on as a sub last week. He played 90% of his time in the defensive half, which was probably indicative of how much the ball was in the defensive half. He went at 79% uh, disposal efficiency, had seven contested uh, possessions, three turnovers, and uh, four score involvements, including a goal assist. We see your thoughts on uh, on Nash today. Yeah, so I'm I'm with Ash, who during the week um, thought it was a really good good idea to get in the full game, especially at the MCG, and and the fact that you need um, you know you, you need some balls to be able to tackle um, to get the contested ball. Um, and that the SCG, it's proven that you need enough of those sorts of players. I think he's finished with one tackle for the game and 12 to 13 of his possessions were uncontested. Um, so I see it, uh, again, not much of an impact. I see it as a bit of a nothing game. 
Um, and the difficulty I find is that he, he's the sort of player that needs three, four or five games in a row to see what he actually has to offer. But at the same time, if this is going to be the sort of output, I'd rather see Stevens, who's had a great, you know, a, a great day out at Box Hill or even a Ned Long get an opportunity in the team as part of part of that group that's going to be there moving forward. So, um, yeah, tough to judge. I don't think he performed the role that he was supposed to. Uh, so I, I've given him a four out of 10. Now, four out of 10, and does he stay in the side for you next week? Do you think um, going down to Tassie against the Ruse, um, does he become the LDU stopper or, or or does he does he stay in the side or does he drop out? I mean, when you think Cunnington and LDU and Greenwood and um, even Simkin, the bigger He's types. suspended. Uh, there you go. I think I did that oh, last week with Buddy as well. Um, did. <laughs> two for two. Uh, Unlike the So bigger bigger types of bodies would suggest you'd want him in there. But but again, um, it, it depends at what point. We see halfway through games now, Sam goes, right, time to experiment. Like Hardwick is the exact example of it's time to shuffle things around. If we're going for experiment and experience and all of that sort of stuff, actually that matchup doesn't mean anything and who should be getting games. So I think he's going to get selected to play or be the sub. Um, I'd be equally as happy for him to have a game at Box Hill next week. All right. Well, moving on to probably I would suggest, and look, I'm not giving the rating, but probably the um, the brightest spark uh, from today's game, Will Day, uh, playing uh, a lot more through the midfield, but not a lot in the center um, center bounces. Had 26 disposals, 11 kicks, 15 handballs, four marks, four tackles. 11 of his possessions were uh, were contested. He went at 77% disposal efficiency, the three turnovers for day today, and three score involvements and seven clearances, three of those center clearances and four stoppage clearances. So pretty good day out for Will Day, the midfielder, but we didn't see him in a lot of um, center, center bounces. Daz, what were your thoughts on Will Day? Yeah, I think arguably our best player out there. And um, I, I, I think it's 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 a bit of, bit of a bittersweet scenario with Will Day. I, I can't stop thinking about this contract. And as much as I want to celebrate him and, and think, oh, you know, this is, he's finally putting together a, a really decent patch of footy and consistent footy and, you know what's he going to be like in five, six games' time when he when he when he puts a consistent run of footy together playing in the midfield? I think you know he started the season so well that that you know five, six rounds' time he could he could really have a have a bit of a breakout game. And then you think about the contract, and you know is is he auditioning for for Port or Adelaide? Um, you know, obviously that'll work in our favour if, if he has to leave. But geez, he's the, the midfielders actually looked like the most functional line today, and he was a big part of that. And um, I really, I really hope he stays because I think he 
is is putting together a pretty decent run of footy. So um, I was really impressed with Will Day today, and I'm going to give him a give him a six and a half. On six a difficult and a half day. Is- Six what? and a half is a high mark today. So yeah, uh, that's that's I don't know. Weesey disagrees. I think it's stiff. I think he was. Um, I think he was better than a six and a half. And I totally understand, Daz. My my issue is that I feel like I'm already emotionally connected, and that's going to make it really, really difficult if he leaves at the end of the year because. He's uh, the two games back to back are his best two games together for some time, and he's doing it in the midfield, which is um, better than you know what you're getting with the same sorts of numbers off half back. Um, I, I agree, Prinzi. Like he's, there were times in our chat today where I just said, stick him in the middle and keep him in the middle. Because every time he was at a centre bounce attendance, he, he got his hands on the footy uh, and actually used it. So we saw some of those side steps, we saw some of those little balks, and I totally understand where you're coming from, Daz. I don't want a first round draft pick for him. I want him to sign a five or six year contract because I'm already uh, I'm already connected and will be bitterly, bitterly disappointed if he leaves. Yeah, I think um I think the the whole Hawthorne connection adds another layer to that too, right? As fans we we love the romanticism of 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 things like that and with Will's grandfather playing for the Hawks and um, you know, how excited he was to be drafted for the Hawks. You want to hold on to those players more than anyone. Uh and then when they start playing great footy and they start dominating in the midfield um, in limited midfield minutes, you think, yeah, we're on one here. So, yeah, hopefully and he's just driving his price up. If he if he does come good, it it doesn't matter what number that draft pick is. Where we're at in the rebuild, if he's a top five draft pick that we're getting in return for him at the end of the year, that's worth nothing compared to the fact that we've just lost someone who's in their early 20s and is worth that and has 60 games, 50 games in them and has just had that development. Like losing him at the end of the season, I feel, would set us back big time. Yeah. Big time. And he's he's becoming that sort of complete midfielder that we all thought he would be. He's, there's, there's very little things that he can't do. He can defend. He can play on the outside. He can play on the inside. He's calm with a footy in hand. He's got a beautiful kick. It's both feet. Both feet. It'd be an absolute tragedy. It would be devastating. Be, oh my god! Um, so please, Will. I know yeah. that you're a big listener of the the Hawks Insiders podcast and a big fan. Please, please stay. We'll have to. I'll, we'll have, I'll, we'll have to I'll bump him. up the ratings. I'll bump up the rating to seven and a half. I'm sure after that plea, he's nailed on to sign. There you go, seven and a half for you, Will. If you sign next week, you'll get a ten. Um, moving on to, uh, another one of Hawks insiders favorites, Dylan Moore loves a goal. Um, got one today, uh, and a re- actually a very good goal. Um, the problem, the problem is that our goals at the moment are few and far between. Um, but he worked his way into the game. I would, is how I would describe, um, Dill. He had 23 disposals, five kicks, eight handballs, eight marks, four tackles, 
only the 56% disposal efficiency, which for a, such a good user of the ball by hand and foot is pretty disappointing. He had six contested disposals, two turnovers, kicked a goal, um, and only the 300 metres gained, but did have five inside 50s. We see your thoughts on Dylan Moore. Yeah, I think, what did we have, 17 scoring shots? And he had eight score involvements. So he was probably our only effective forward in in that regard. Um, And I agree with what you said, Pinsy. I thought early um, he was one of the players that I didn't think much of or see much of or totally anonymous. So he really, really worked into the game well. And, you know, the, the numbers are are really good in terms of they're a classic Dylan Moore performance, right? Over 20 touches, a goal, eight marks, um, bringing plenty of others into, into the game as well. So um, it's hard to be too too critical. I think that um, disposal efficiency is significant. He's usually one that's sort of up into the 70 to 80% mark. Um, but uh, again, I, I guess compared to a lot of the other players out on the field today, he's someone who could walk off saying at least I, I tried my best throughout the day and um, I've given him a six. And I think there was a comment from, um, I want to say it was Jared Healy uh, saying like, Dylan Moore is, is such a great player. Imagine how he'd be on a good team. He'd be he'd be unbelievable. And uh, I think that's so true, right, because those high half forwards is, a, is such a hard role to play uh, in in any side, but it's especially hard in a poor football side. And the delivery we gave our forwards today was atrocious. So for him to end up with 23 disposals um, and be involved in eight score involvements is is just a phenomenal effort. And I think, you know, I think it speaks to the fact that he actually – Without any jokes, no marking around. He actually is an elite footballer. Like there's no joke, there's no uh, ifs or buts about it. Dylan Moore is elite. Every time he goes out there, he would probably come off thinking, I'm not too happy with my game today. You know, and when you do that and you're probably one of the Hawks' best players, that says a lot about where your bar is. And I think his bar is just every week is going up and up and up. And I think by the end of the year, especially if we can get, you know, some half decent runs at, staying in contests, um, he will be right up there in contention for an All-Australian spot off a half-forward flank. Yeah, and I think um, just on that Jared, Jared Healy comment, I think it's even higher praise when he probably didn't even know who he was 12 months ago. So 12, 12 uh, minutes before the game, probably. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect, you know, what he's saying is potentially true, but also the, the flip side of it is that if Dylan Moore was at Geelong over the last five years, he potentially wouldn't have made it because he's battling for spots. So he got the opportunity. He took it. He's more than grasped it. He is that elite footballer that you're talking about. Um, and I hear that comment and go, well, that's just a, a wonderful sign of respect for what he's become. Absolutely. Um, speaking of underrated uh, players, our 
hybrid small defender, small forward Blake Hardwick today. Um, I thought he did a phenomenal job on Papley early, um, kept him to very little touches. Um, he had 10 himself after being swung forward in the second half. He barely touched the football in the second half. He had two disposals for the half um, and was relatively, well, completely ineffective in, in the second half. Um, Daz, I'm not going to go into all of Hardwick's stats because I think they belie what he did or what he was able to do. Can you give us a bit of your thoughts on the use of um, Blake Hardwick in the way that Mitchell's used him and whether you want to see that going forward? Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it, and I didn't understand it last week, and I just understand it even less this week. And I don't know what this does for the benefit of the team. And, and Sam Mitchell sees the games in a way, and sees the game in a way that I would never understand. And I really, it is one of those trust the process because something is he's doing something that we don't know. That is, he's playing three D chess. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I you look at that. You saw him move to the forward line in the third quarter and he just persisted with it regardless of, you know, Hardwick, our best defender. Papley's getting off the leash, just staying there in the forward, languishing out there in the forward line, ball's not going anywhere near him. I'm not sure what message that's sending or what he's trying to do, but I, again, I just have to take a breath and trust the process and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's teaching him something. I don't know. Do you guys have any insight there? Because I just, I don't know. Like, is that how you fix a dysfunction? We've got a dysfunctional back line. And then you put Blake Hardwick in there to try and fix a dysfunctional forward line. And and all of a sudden, you've got two dysfunctional lines for the second week in a row. So, I don't know. Yeah, my my whole thought in the second half when they actually cut to Sam Mitchell before the half started. and, And they said, oh, are you making any changes to the team to start the second half? He said, yeah, we're going to swing Blake Hardwick forward and we're going to put Finn McGuinness down back. And I thought, no, not again, not again. Like we have limited amount of players that defenders that really know how to defend one-on-one and Blake Hardwick is probably our best one-on-one defender. And we're going to rob our defense, which, you know, struggled in the first half. We're going to rob our defense of that, that ability to basically say, all right, Tom Papley, Sydney might kick 100 points, but you're not going to have much of it all day. Um, and then just go, well, we need to try and kick as many goals as we need. Um, Blake, see what you can give us. The only the only thing I think maybe he's doing is maybe he knows what he's got with Hardwick. And this season's about understanding what else he has with other players. Mm. So, you know, there's a potential, okay, we know what Hardwick can do as a lockdown small defender. We know how good he is with the ball in his hand, how he sets us up, how he nullifies his opposition. Um, Let's see what he can give us as a forward. But more importantly, let's see what Finn McGuinness can do off a half black back flank. Let's see what, you know, extended time of Lockie Bramble or Cam McKenzie or whoever it is that we decide to use in those roles. Maybe it's that because really if it's just, we need Black Hardwick up forward, then I don't think that's the right, I don't think that's the right answer. And I'm not here questioning yeah. Sam Mitchell. It must be that and you know, but you've got to be thinking if you're Blake Hardwick, this is my job. This is how I earn my crust and this is this is this is maybe a year in which I actually do shake off the underrated tag and be prop a properly rated 
all Australian defender, which he's very much capable of, and he's languishing out there in the forward line. So I know it's t- a team first ethos, but McGuinness really struggled in the back line, I thought. And it just, the team just structurally fell apart um, for the second week running when he did that. So yeah, I would just love to have a chat with Sam and hear what's in his brain sometimes, but I'm sure he's about 25 steps ahead of us already. We can only hope and trust the process. Like you said, I'm not going to ask you to rate Hardwick today because I don't think that's fair on, on, on Blake. So we're going to move to number 16, Lockie Bramble, who actually finished the day with a rather respectable 20, respectable 22 disposals, 18 of those kicks. Um, he spent most of his time in the defensive half, went at 73%. Uh, 15 of his touches were uncontested. He did have three turnovers. Um, he had five marks, all uncontested, 518 metres gained, um, and he had seven rebound 50s and three inside 50s. Weesey, how did you see Lockie Bramble? Uh, I've got a feeling this is going to be unpopular opinion, um, but he actually gets a pass for me today. I think his first half was pretty poor, and we talked about this um, earlier, but he really came into the game in the second half. Um, I think the meters gain stat um, is probably a little bit skewed in the fact that he ended up taking a lot of kick-ins in the second half, four kick-ins. So that's significant in terms of that number because there's, there's, you know, 200 metres straight away in terms of metres gained, but it brought him into the game. And then he had those, you mentioned the seven rebounds from 50. I think that's our equal highest with Sis and one below Blakey who, um, who had the most on the ground with eight. So that's significant. And then again, if you're talking about a role, if we're comparing him to CJ, if you're comparing him to um, Jars, if you're talking about purely that run carry out of the back line um, in the second half, there was enough there for me to go, right, um, he did his job that he was asked to do and actually did it quite well. So I'd give him a, a five purely because of the second half making up for the first and no doubt that he's he's higher in the pecking order than some of those other guys in terms of solidifying that spot for next week. Absolutely. And I think uh, the third quarter really is where he took the game by the scruff of the neck. And having 10 disposals and and all of them kicks four marks and two tackles in the one quarter just shows what he can do. We want to try to have more of those quarters and less of uh, the first quarter where he touched the ball once. So like you said, there was a real a change from um, from halftime onwards. And it was good to see that because I've been a big supporter of Lockie Bramble because um, I've enjoyed his pace. I've enjoyed his, um, his run and carry at pace and his ability to deliver the football by foot when running at full tilt. And um, early on, I thought, oh, no. Some people are going to come for me on this, um, but he worked his way into the game really well. And I, I, I agree with you. I think he was a pass mark today. Only just, but only just is probably better than uh, 80% of the list today. So that's not a bad, not a bad result at all. Yeah. And especially after the first half, it's no different to last week. All you want is a response, right? 
you want people to go that they actually care and work hard for it. And he did that. So I think that was his second half was one of the positives from today. Absolutely. Uh, Lloyd Meek, Daz, um, who took over ruck duties uh, predominantly after after Reeves went down. We did see a little bit of Connor Nash in the ruck, uh, which I didn't think we'd see this year. Uh, he finished with nine disposals, uh, five kicks, four handballs. He kicked a goal, his first goal in Hawthorne Colours. He had eight tackles, which I think is a phenomenal effort for a big man. Um, he went at 67% disposal efficiency, uh, he had six contested possessions out of his nine disposals, um, had two turnovers, four score involvements, only the one mark, which is a little disappointing. He had three clearances and 19 hitouts were the most hitouts on the ground by any singular person. Uh, and he also had five tackles inside 50, which I think is a phenomenal effort for a big man. Uh, Daz, what were your thoughts on Lloyd Meek's game? Yeah, well, I mean, the tackle stats are, um, kind of surprised me, and and that's that that is an incredible effort and shows how hard he was working. I think I can't get past the one mark, and it was an uncontested mark as well. And I think uh, we were talking to Ed Sill earlier in the week, me and you, Danny, and 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 Ed was talking about McAvoy's impact, and you know, everyone's talking about us cutting too deep, and and the loss of McAvoy, I think's been a, a bit of. I know we only only had him for half a season, but. He, he was he was that one that was taking a mark in the forward line when we needed a goal or um you know up up the wing that get out kick and Meek's got to Meek's got to be that person he's got to he's got to have that physical presence and he's got to clunk a mark um for this ruck combo to to really work and I agree with Weesey that he got a lot better once Reeves went off and maybe that's kind of maybe that's the role he's going to have to play um if they decide not to i, I don't know is, is reeves injured or what 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 was the deal there uh Just i think dragged. it was tactical yeah i yeah. think it was tactical in saying that um it's what's really interesting is that um he had nine disposals for the game meek five of them were in the first quarter so he had four disposals for the next three quarters but his impact on the game in the second half was much much greater than his impact in that first that first half. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they manage these two young ruckmen and how they try to get the best out of out of the both of them. I think the Hawks really need Meek, like you said, does to come on as a real physical presence. Reeves is a is a is a lovely tap ruckman, um, you know, and you know, really really tall and can take a forward fifty mark, but isn't a dominating presence. He's not, you know, for all, all his warts, you look at the way that Sam Draper had his way with us last week. And it was that way that he just exuded this bullocking, I'm going to take the game on type style. We kind of need something, maybe not exactly the same because Draper's a different cat, but we need something like that. Like you talked about McAvoy knowing when to take a huge pack mark just to settle us down or, you know, run through a bloke and, um, you know, pick the team up that way. We need him to sort of give us some of those sort of attributes. Someone with a bit of mongrel, you know, someone with a bit of swag, someone maybe a bit Max Lynch-esque. Uh, or, or actual, or we see shakes Max, his head in the or background. Or the real Max Lynch, who I, I really think he's got something about him, but, you know, he, he's doing the job at Box Hill and I think these two are probably ahead of him. But I would like to see a bit more mongrel in, in, in Meek and, 
him just sort of attack the footy a bit more. And I think he's got it in him. He's got all the physical tools to be that Bully King Ruckman. It's just he's settling in. He's, you know, uh, at a new club and um, he's the main man. And I think that's it's 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 not a, a, a sort of normal position for him to be in. So um, I think he's 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 going to be fine. I really do. And um, you know that that goal would have given him a lot of confidence too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pity it was so late in the game. Uh, moving on to number twenty-two, uh, an absolute champion of our football club, Luke Bruce. Um, we see before I throw over to you, ten disposals, seven kicks, three handballs. Four marks, four tackles. He kicked one goal, two. I think we'd be hoping for a little bit more accuracy there, but we've still got to cover Fergus Green, so we won't go um, all in on Luke. Um, Three contested possessions, seven uncontested, two turnovers, uh, 50% disposal efficiency, and he can be a bit hit and miss um, with his disposal efficiency, Luke Bruce. Uh, Four marks, all uncontested. What were your thoughts on Luke Bruce? My thoughts are that moment when you get number 22 on your player review and realize that Daz is going to have number 23 and you get to sit back and listen to him come up the long run. Um, no, do you know what? This is exactly the same as every other week. We know what his role's going to be. It's... Um, uh, he, he kicked that goal right at the start of the second quarter, which until late in the game um, was our last goal for quite some time. Um, he'd almost have gotten a pass if he kicked uh, right near the end of the game. He had that shot that he should have scored. Um, but again, 10 touches, two goals. If if he'd scored it, like that's what we're expecting him week to week. Um he doesn't get a pass because he didn't do enough. Um, I'd give him a four. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think there's too much that we really need to say. We know what his role's going to be for 2023. All right, moving right along to probably the most sought after and uh, waited for player review of the day. And I'll preface this by saying I have been a huge supporter of Jacob Kaczynski online and in our WhatsApp I constantly get smashed by uh, an unnamed member of the Hawks Insiders, Brad Klebanski. Um, But Cozzy just wasn't it today. Uh, he had 11 touches. Um, he had uh, five kicks, six handballs, four marks, a tackle. He kicked a point. Uh, he went at 82% disposal efficiency. He had three turnovers. Um not much else. He had one contested mark, three marks inside 50, and that's about it. Daz, over to you. Do your best work. Oh, look, I'm, if you guys think that I'm going to unload on Cosby when he's at his lowest, I, I think you've, you've got me right. <laughs> See, I'm not going to do it. I'm not because he's a confidence player, and I think the biggest – uh, sign for me that like you, you can look at various points in the game, but that last quarter, I think he took a mark 30 out directly in front and he had, he passed it off to green. And if you're not, if you're a big key forward, it's the last quarter. You want to kick a goal. It gives you something to take into the, into the week after and he hands it off to green. I just think that just shows where his head's at. Unfortunately, he's just, so low on confidence and he just does not back himself and he's just not 
mentally, mentally there because physically he is a presence. And I think he got a lot more involved this week than he has, uh, than he, than he has for the past few games. If you look at the, the sort of the way he ended the season, but, um, I think they said on the commentary, seven goals in the last 12 games is our number one key forward. It is scary times for us, um, in that forward line and. Cozzy is just starting to look. I mean, I've, I've really backed him. He's a, he's a young player. And if we're going to apply the same, you know, key position players take a long time, sort of lens over Denver, why not Cozzy? But yeah, it's just not working for him. And I think he could do with a spell, but he just can't have, he's in, he's stuck in purgatory really because he can't go back to Box Hill because we actually need him up there. So I'm not sure what the answer is. For Cozzy at the moment, he's just going to have to work through it and hopefully be a, be a better play for it. Weezy, I want your thoughts on Cozzy as well. Uh, um, what uh, have you got for us? I mean, I don't disagree with a lot of da- what Daz said, and and we don't have that many more options. So, what what you want is for him to actually kick a few goals, get the confidence. He doesn't even need to kick the goals; he just needs to clunk some big marks to get his confidence up and to be in a place where he's contributing enough so that when Mitch Lewis comes back, he doesn't have to be the number one. Um, I I think that's going to be significant, but I mean, he's been dragged early in the Essendon game. He's got Blake Hardwick coming up for, you know, four out of the eight quarters of football that have been played to be the key target in the forward line. So it says quite a bit. And um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because we just don't have the stocks. And that's why, I mean, again, halfway through this game, why aren't you putting frost up forward just to trial another big body? Uh, I mean, it may not make a difference because our delivery inside the forward line is mud. Anyway, so um, I actually, you know, whilst I joke about, oh, it's great someone gets to come off the long run and um, it's very, very frustrating to watch him. He is young and we don't have many more options. So, uh, like, what can you do? Mm. Yeah, and I think it's it's unrealistic to say bring in Granger Barras and put him forward because that's not good for him. Jack is injured with the hammy. Mitch Lewis is out with his knee. We know where we're at as a developing young side. I think you just have to give him a few more weeks and let him work through it or not. And then that'll make the decision for you in terms of what we do with that position going forward. We see one more comment. And, and you know what? All week throughout the week, people were talking about getting Ramsden in over Cozzy, you know, and, He's and not Ramsden. Ready. Well, he's had nine touches and two marks today, and he's not ready. Like he's he kicked a four kid. goals last week, Ramsden. Yeah, which but, is fantastic in a practice match. And yeah, he's got seasons to go before he's ready to play AFL footy. So if you think that he's going to be the answer, you're kidding yourself. I agree with what you've said about DGB. If he comes in, he's got to play as a defender, which is his role. But again, that's why I think you could even play Frost next to Cozzy and have them as dual big body targets to help each other in the forward line. Oh, it's not a bad shout. But uh, I mean, 
you kind of look at the list and you go, we've got no developing key forwards. We're gonna ha- we're gonna have to. How are we gonna solve this problem? Is it gonna be a mid season draft pickup? You know, Jed Rule came out of nowhere and kicked four goals in the VFL this week. I mean, maybe he, you know, he he. I don't know really anything about him, and I know that he was uh, intercept defender that they swung forward today. But you just wonder where they're gonna pluck this key forward from because we can develop. We just keep drafting small forwards and midfielders and rebound defenders. So. It's a recruitment issue, um, and Cosy was drafted as a backman as well. So, I mean, it's it's kind of not his fault either. He probably would not be on a list had he remained a backman. But uh, it's it's really it's really scary when you think about the future of this club um, without any developing sort of key forwards, other than maybe Jekka, and they've swung him back as well. That all points to free agency and trade, right? But can you rely on that? Because you got to then you've got to have somebody come available. They've got to want to come to the Hawks. We're not going to be an attractive destination, you know. Sure, we can pay a lot of money because nobody's taking up our salary cap space. But I don't know. I think even if you have that, and even if all right, say for argument's sake, Will Day decides he wants to go home to Adelaide, the Hawks go well, Port Adelaide. We want Mitch Georgiatis or something like that fantastic but I think we also have to be drafting and developing our own and we haven't done that with key forwards very well at all for the last five or six years and it's like Mitch Lewis is the only one that we've done that with properly in that time so um, if you look at you know where they come from I mean the Saints plucked that Anthony Caminiti kid as an SSP forward and he's he's looked fairly decent in his first couple of games at the Saints so he's not made huge scoreboard impact but you know what, what why can't we find somebody like that not Jackson Kello who can come in in the mid-season draft and play you know half a season at Box Hill maybe get a few games and you know they're probably not going to be the answer long term but you've got to have a couple of those guys on your list to develop why not Jackson Kello yeah, do you reckon you he'd know? be playing now he'd be half a shot Look, I think I think if Emerson Jacker was fit and had a good preseason, he'd probably be playing now. In all honesty, they mm. moved him back forward, back to his natural position. And under Sam Mitchell in that first year, that half year that Mitchell was coach of the VFL team, he was a phenomenal forward for Box Hill uh, and was doing stuff um, that that had a lot of supporters thinking that you know he could potentially do some serious damage as a key forward at AFL level. We got he got slaughtered in the games that we brought him in to play at um, AFL level, but honestly, I think probably he's he's playing or he's at least in the frame to play in the next couple of weeks if he's fit. But he's not, and that's the problem with Emerson Jecker is he can't remain fit. So Cosy kind of almost gets there on default because he's always fit, which is a, a skill in and of itself. Let's move on. Uh, that's enough Kazitsky chat for one evening. Uh, Josh Ward. Uh, 19 disposals, eight kicks, 11 handballs. I feel like he started the, he did, he started the game really well with eight disposals in the first quarter, faded considerably in the second, um, and then had 10 in the second half. Um, he had three marks, three tackles, 79% disposal efficiency, and he does use the ball very well. Um, he had seven contested disposals, uh, three score involvements, uh, one contested mark, 
Only the 154 metres gained, which is probably a bit of a knock on Josh Ward. He tends to be a little bit crabby with the ball where he just goes sideways and short chip kicks and that sort of thing. He did have three tackles, uh, two of them inside the forward 50. He had one inside 50 and one rebound 50. Um, am I up to Weesey? Weesey, how did, how did we go? How did Josh Ward go today? Yeah, I think this will be a short one because it was, certainly wasn't uh, – it, it just was – it was just a game. It was another game to add to the tally and the experience. And he did look good in the first quarter, but as you said, faded completely. I've got no issues with the sideways or backwards, especially because of his quality of skill, if it means that we're retaining possession. Um, so I, at this point, from a development point of view, I, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, it was just, again, post-quarter time, a whole lot of not much. So it was just a game to add to the experience. And uh, I mean, I'd if I'm being true to my scoring self, he'd probably get about a four and a half. Yeah. And I think it was a bit of a step back from last week, which he was very good against the Bombers, even in a losing side. But, and, and, and I think probably the biggest disappointment was you thought he was going to take a step forward when watching him in the first quarter, because he was probably one of, if not our best player, um, and it just kind of was nothing after that. So uh, mark it down, like you said, in the in the in the book, and move on to next week, and let's see what he can do. Hopefully, he gets a little bit more burn against the ruse, and um, yeah, he can he can uh, make amends for today's performance. Does Fergus Green, your man, um, big big Fergus Green fan, number one ticket holder? He had ten disposals, nine kicks, and one handball. He had six marks. He kicked a point in every quarter. Uh, couldn't bag a goal. Um, he had four contested possessions, three turnovers, um, but five score involvements and a goal assist. What did you make of Fergus Green? Well, Fergus is still my man. And I think he, you know, he he probably should have kicked at least half of, half of those goals opportunities. And, um, the fact that he got involved, um, in a, in, with with you know the the ball not going in much, um, and was 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 one of the players that actually did look dangerous for us. I, you know, you you you'd love for him to 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 nail those shots, and it's his bread and butter. He was such a such a good, reliable set shot for Box Hill last year. But I think you know this is the big stage. He's probably got a got a few things going on, um, you know, above his shoulders. But yeah, I, th- I think he definitely retains his spot. And I think he's giving us a, a really good option up front and is, you know, no one's ever going to replace Jack Unston, but I think he's, he's doing his best. And um, I thought he had a pretty good game despite, despite those missed opportunities, to be honest. Now on to number 28, Cam McKenzie. Uh, we see a bit of a step back or a fall from grace from last week's first First hit out, um, he had 12 disposals. He got caught with the ball a couple of times. Seven kicks, five handballs, uh, three tackles. Um, but nine of his 12 disposals were contested, which I think says a lot about where he went and got his footy and how much pressure he was under when he did get it. Um, he had three clearances, two of those centre clearances, and he um, only attended six centre bounce um attendances. So out of the six that he was at, he won two of them. So 
maybe the question is not necessarily why wasn't Cam McKenzie so good. It was why wasn't he on the ball more often? What were your thoughts, Weesey? Yeah, I think I, I don't, I certainly don't see it as a step backwards because it's his second game of AFL footy. So if we're expecting him to come in and be a Nick Dacos or, you know, even looking at what Sheasel's doing, it's, it's actually not normal. Like that's not normal. So to expect it from Cam is, is ridiculous. And again, it's just about adding to his body of work. And I think he was our second highest pressure axe player on the ground. So that sort of fits in with, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the positive stuff you were just talking about. So uh, again, you know, he's coming up a, against a slick Swans team that, as you rightfully mentioned, Sammy pointed out, that they played in a grand final last season. So big, big learning experience. Um, doesn't get a pass in terms of his impact on the contest today. I give him a four and a half, same as same as Josh Ward, and um, I, he'll clearly, clearly be better for it. But we're gonna, we would be expecting half of his games to be fairly nothing games like this throughout the season. It's his first year of AFL footy. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and this is absolutely no shade at at Harry Sheasel, who's been phenomenal in his two games at North, but is a different level playing on ball against seasoned bodies, especially against, you know, the reigning grand finalists who boasts a midfield unit with Callum Mills and Isaac Heaney and Errol Goulden and Chad Warner and, and you name it and you name it and you name it. There's a production line of these midfielders. Um, it's never going to be easy finding the footy in, against players like that who know that ground so well. With all due respect to Sheasel and Dacos, don't get me wrong, I'd love to have them in this team. I'll take them both. I'd rather have even Ward's last five or six games on the wing last year where he came onto the ball and had to earn his footy. I'd rather have 20 to 25 of those possessions at the coalface for these kids who are going to be there for us in the future then let's just stick him on a halfback flank. And that's actually why I think the progression of, sorry to harp on about him, of Will Day is really exciting because that's what we did with him, right? We went, mm. he's going to be a, a really good, different type of midfielder, but let's just get him into footy by playing him behind the ball at halfback and easing him into it. We haven't done that with Cam. And so if he's getting 20, 22, 24 at the coalface, that's worth as much as the 35 off halfback, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely agree there. Um, yeah, no no, no shade there um, to either of Harry Sheasel or Nick Dacos, who are phenomenal footballers. But it's a different it's a different comparison, I guess, is, you know, you're talking, it's not apples to apples. All right, on to very quickly, Daz, I'm going to get you to do the next two. So I um, just want to hear your thoughts on Sam Butler. He only played 40 minutes of the game, played in the forward half. Um, the ball was hardly down there. I actually played 100% of his game in the defensive half, I should say. Um, and that's probably because the ball was so so much in, in there. He had three disposals, one kick, two handballs. He had two tackles. 
and that was about all she wrote of his game. He had a, a huge 14 metres gained for his, uh, his three disposals. Um, did you see anything from Butler that you liked or was it just good to see him out there and hopefully he gets a full game next week? Well, he had, he had seven pressure acts and I think I, that's what I did see from Butler. I did see him putting pressure on the footy um, even though he wasn't winning a lot of it, I, I saw him working really hard and I want to see more more Sam Butler. I feel like we've been uh, unfairly starved of Sam Butler and I, I definitely want to see him back in, this, in the side soon because, and, and I think he's going to get his chance really soon too. So, um, yeah, I saw enough in that in that half for me to think that he's ready to come back in again. Absolutely. And I think I think we talked earlier about wanting to add a bit of niggle, a bit of mongrel, a bit of pest factor into this team. And I think that's one thing he does act, mm. add. And look, he's probably not going to have that swagger of a Tom Papley in his third, fourth, fifth game this year. But, you know, you get him enough games, he gets to 30, 40 games, he feels really comfortable. And then and then watch out, you'll see it. So um, moving on to Connor McDonald, uh, had 15 disposals, nine kicks, six handballs, five marks, two tackles. Um, six contested, 10 uncontested possessions, two turnovers, uh, 254 metres gained. He went at 67% by uh, hand and foot. Um, he attended still only the one centre bounce, uh, which is a bit confusing because, I don't know, but to me, a little bit like McKenzie and, and Josh Ward, he seems like he's destined to play in the midfield. So why not give him that exposure? Um, he had one inside 50 and two rebound 50s. What did you make of his performance today, Darren? Yeah, again, Connor's just another one where you, he's, he's not he's not putting together that sort of full consistent game of where he's, he's, you know, he's, he's dipping in and out of the game. And I think he had a pretty good second quarter and pretty was pretty involved in the third quarter and then kind of drifted out a little bit. But again, with with Connor, and it's the same with Josh Ward, and I think those two will always kind of be compared to each other in terms of, you know, they're at the same stage of sort of development, but it's another game. It's another senior game of footy for him, and, he, and he's, he's, he's doing enough at this stage in his development, uh, he's, he's just got to keep going and keep working through these tough moments. And I think he'll, he'll be better for it. And I, I really love Connor McDonald. So it's, it's very hard for me to, to sit here and say that he should be out. I mean, I think he's another one that you just, he's got a, one of the, the first names on the list and you just got to keep him in there. Uh, does he get a ranking from you today? Yeah. I mean, what, what, rank, what, rank him on his game and then rank him on his mullet. Go. Oh, geez, the the mullet's like eleven out of ten, I reckon. At them, he's looking like a mini mini Conan. Mm. Um, and but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give him a, a four and a half, just off a pass mark. But maybe just that consistency of, of of playing out the game, I think, is kind of lacking at the moment for Con. Absolutely. Moving on to our second last player of the day, Weesey, I'm going to throw it over to you. Finn McGuinness, 10 touches, but it's not necessarily about what Finn does. Um, in the first half, he played a lot on um, the lizard as he was continually referred to in the, in the broadcast, which was driving me insane. Um, played, played a, a tagging role on Nick Blakey. Um, now, just to give some context, this Blakey finished the game with 24 disposals. Uh, when he was playing in that first half, he had seven, 
with Finn on him. So he really exploded eight in the third quarter, nine in the last quarter when McGuinness had moved forward and was playing on Tom Papley. What do we think of Finn McGuinness's game today? So I don't think it's actually fair to give him a rating because he did a great job on Blakey and, and that's clearly his role. It's not fair. It's not fair to him in terms of the second, the second half where I think he had pretty much zero impact whatsoever in that role on Papley. And I know, you know, Mitchell's been on record as saying, oh, I can play him at half back and can try him at half forward and it adds to the body and all of that sort of stuff of him as a footballer but we know what his role is, right? We know what his role's going to be. I think I think he's fairly one-dimensional. I don't think he's the sort of mid that we're going to be able to go, let's stick him on a half forward and he's going to get a bit of it and maybe kick a goal. Like we know his role. So if it's he's beaten Blakey for the first half, put him on another mid-tagging role, in my opinion. So... That the decision to put him that far defensively behind the ball on Papley, who's a gun small forward, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the greatest idea. When uh, you know, and I, I'm obviously not Sam Mitchell, and they know what they're doing, and they've got plans and all of that sort of stuff. I think it reeks very much of the hard week. Let's try things for the sake of trying things, but. Finn's worked bloody hard to do what he does and cement a position in the team tagging. And in the first half, he did it really well. So let him continue to cement his position in the team doing what he does best. So, you know, that that's the only thing for me because he was ineffectual in the second half. Mm. And I think, I think it's also, if you're going to put him off a halfback flank, you've got to pick the right forward to put him on. Um, a nippy, quick, nimble, agile, small forward like Papley, who's a jack-in-the-box and can jump on your head, is not the right player to put somebody like Finn on, who's 190 centimetres, 90 kilos, fairly solid, bit of a slower turning circle, you know, wider turning circle. Uh, I feel like we did we did Finn a bit of a disservice playing him on Papley in that second half. And, it, I mean, it probably doesn't help that they had such big forwards right? Like with McLean and McDonald and Amati, like they're, they're big guys. So clearly they're not the guys that he's going to go to. Um, but so again, like why, mm. why do it? Uh, put him on Chad Warner, Warner or, or put him Goulden. on Golden. Correct. Callum and Mills him, slaughtered us, put him on Callum Mills. Like in, in t- Mills was outstanding. Right. And so in two or three years time, if Finn's playing the lockdown role, like they're the guys he's going to be playing on. So give him another half against someone that is, you know, it's the reason in the old days, the Crawfords versus Harveys versus Cooters versus Herds versus Vosses, they played on each other all day, every day, every single time they played. And you just kept banking the information and the intel to help make you better to beat them the next time. Well, he's the one that's going to do the shutdown job on them over the next three, four, five years, we hope. So put him on one of them for another half. That's all.
Nuff said. Do we want to give him a rating or just? I, want to I don't think him? it's fair. Yeah, let's. That's fine. Let's move on. Uh, finally, and we, I've uh, just managed to make this happen to give Darren the ability to rate his evident um, man, James Blank, who um, we, if it was we see or myself rating, probably wouldn't give him a pass, but Daz might find a way to make it happen. Uh, James Blank had six disposals. He had more goals kicked on him, I think, than his disposal count. Four kicks, two handballs, two marks, three tackles. 83% disposal efficiency, but he played predominantly on Amadi and Logan McDonald along with Sam Frost, um, and they kicked nine between them, I believe. Does not one of James Blank's better games. What were your what were your insights and your thoughts on No, but I think the difference between Blank and Frost is there's just so much upside to James Blank and it's going it was gonna happen part of a journey. He's twenty-two years old. Key position player. I mean, he's playing against two other players who are in similar positions in their journey, which I think is a frustrating thing. You could kind of understand if he was getting absolutely towed up by Buddy. But we were joking before on the WhatsApp all week about how Marty's going to play the breakout game of his career against us. And lo and behold, it happened. And, um, you know, maybe it's a Ben Ronk false dawn, maybe we've kick-started what's going to be a really promising career. And I actually do think Amadi's a, a really, really good play and he's going to be a good play for the Swans. But um, it was actually a tough assignment for for Blank. Um, in a lot of ways, the ball was coming in there a lot. And yeah, you, you know, it, 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 it's, it's easier to rank Frost a two given where he's at in his footy journey versus James Blank, who's just got so much upside, I think. And He'll learn a lot from that experience. Yeah, and I think I think you uh, hit the nail on the head with the comment of that the service to the Sydney forwards was top class comparatively to the Hawks. Um, so there were there were goals that were kicked on James Blank that Blank had could do nothing about. Uh, and I think you know you, if you look at the stat sheet and you go, "Hot oh, Amadi's kicked four, and uh, Logan McDonald's kicked five, and blah, 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 you know, you start to negatively think about these, the key uh, defensive players that were on them. But a lot of the time, it's not individual mistakes that are leading to these goals. It's actually part of the system or an, or a, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's made up of the way that the midfield got on top of our midfield or the dysfunction in our forward line, which allowed the Sydney defenders to break free, use their knowledge of the SCG put the ball into areas that we didn't defend well as a unit. And that's what makes these guys look a lot worse than possibly what they are or what they were. Yeah, exactly right. And I think they had so much time on the footy to to pick that pass or to for those guys to get on the lead. And that just connection with the, with the forward line um, was something that we just couldn't cope with all day. And James Blank had a really good start to the the year. And I think he had, he, he was one of our few shining lights in round one. I don't think he had a goal kicked on him. And, um, you know, he, he's he got to stay there. And where the DGB comes in and out of the side, I don't think he should be taking James, James Blank's place. Um, so, yeah, it's a hard one for Blanky, but he'll, 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 he'll be right at the end of the day, I think. He's just the, at the start of a journey. As an Everton fan, he's used to 
hard knock, so I'm sure he'll bounce back quickly. And maybe you should give someone else to <laughs> the hymn to someone else next time. I just can't I can't ever I can't bring myself to give him a bad score. Okay. Uh we will finish up with uh a bit of a chat about our senior coach. Um, we see, I'm going to give it to both of you guys. So have a think about it, but we see Sam Mitchell. Um, does he get a pass or a fail on today's performance as coach and uh, what went right and what went wrong? Well, I'm starting to get a feeling. I mean, last week and, and Ash was pretty big on the, you know, getting out coached um, vernacular, which was certainly the feeling going into a game that we thought was very winnable. Um, I'm not sure that's as relevant this week and it's clearly not going to be as we go. So I don't think there's a couch coached versus out coached point to this conversation. Um, I don't mind that he's trying stuff, but uh, I think even some of the stuff we've already covered, you know, like pushing hard will, up forward because you're short of forward options. Well, potentially selection needs to be different going into the game to account for the fact that you're potentially going to have forward line options. So, um, oh, you know, that we, we just had the conversation about Finn, um, the decision for Reeves to come off, off early, which we, we know is going to happen a lot, bringing an extra small or mid on uh, for a tall uh, is a ploy that he's talked about a lot with the sub rule. Um, so oh, it's not about a rating. I think that just hopefully there's a fair bit of review and, and discussion amongst the coaching panel and same with the players, I guess, that there are lessons learned. And a little bit like the players, he's on, you know, sort of round 24 of his coaching journey. So as much as Connor McDonald and Josh Ward are going through this journey of discovery of, of what life is like as an AFL footballer. He's doing the same thing, but in the coach's box. And, um, you know, the Hawks knew what they were getting into when they, um, you know, signed Mitchell and committed to the strip back of the football club. So this is just part of that process, isn't it? And the commentary, the commentary around maybe, Maybe he's not the guy. What if we haven't won games in the next three or four years and we're still at the bottom of the ladder? Is he going to be there? And man, we haven't seen the, the structure and, you know, the, the, the disposal's horrible and all of this sort of stuff. I mean, that's got absolutely nothing to do with what we thought of him as a coach two weeks ago you know, and where we're at in the process and, and the notion that is he in trouble or how long does he have or is he going to be under pressure is just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous. So I, I totally agree with you. We're at the start of a very long process and that's okay. Absolutely. Daz, did you want to add anything to that? I will add to that though, that, Although I agree that Mitchell is at the start of uh, a coaching journey and, you know, he had a student at West Coast, obviously. Like, has he has he surrounded himself with enough experience in that box? Um, especially, you know, like you look at Cade Simpson. I don't know what he's like as a coach and he's learning his, his, his way in, you know, his way in the game. David Howell, not a huge amount of experience as well. 
uh, Zane Littlejohn's come over from, you know, as a development coach and playing, you know, um, coaching Box Hill as well. Um, there's not a lot of, other than um, Andy Collins, there's not a lot of people that he can kind of lean back on. Um, and I'm sure he's surrounded with a, a lot of great people in his life. And now he's got a very close relationship with guys like Ed Sill. And he's probably texting Clarko every now and again, who knows, maybe not anymore. But um, yeah, I just, I just wonder if he's maybe cut too, cut too deep in the coaching box. Um, well, that's where the real talking point is. A hundred percent. And no one's talking about that. And, um, you know, I, I think Sam's smart enough to have some really good mentors in his life. And I'm sure it's not just the, you know, the guys that he surrounds with him, surrounds himself with every day. I'm sure he's drawing on the wider community, people like, you know, Beck Goddard or just, just people outside of the club as well. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it, it'd be a lonely job at times. And um, he's, he's, he's really taken a lot of risks, I guess, in the, in the appointment, you know, losing Robert Harvey, for example, before the season started, I just wonder what that does in terms of having that experience in the box. Um, but yeah, you, you, I, I'd, I do think that he's playing some sort of weird game of 4D chess and is outsmarting all of us. And I will say one thing about Mitchell and he's prepared to lose and he's prepared to lose by 80 points if it means getting the team to play or to think about the game that he in a way that he wants. And Clarko, you know, he he wasn't prepared to lose games. I think he would he would much rather play a game like that and come up with some system that was going to put Sydney under pressure um, and maybe, you know, starve them of goals and win that game 51-50. But it doesn't teach any of the young players anything except how to to kind of outsmart a team in one game. So he's taking a longer-term view and that's going to result in some heavy losses. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a bit of a mirroring of when Clarko first took over at Hawthorne, I think, um, initially the list was stripped back. It was all about player development. And that's just the phase that we're in again now. And I think we have to cop those losses as they come and they're going to come thick and fast. Um, You know, so it's going to be about, like I said, at the start of the program, it's going to be about, um, you know, finding and holding onto your joy in the moments and the periods and the little glimpses that we have into some of these players and how they develop. So, you know, for today, it's, um, it's Will Day, it's the contested side of Cam McKenzie and it's a few other little bits and pieces. But hopefully next week it's going to be a whole lot more and maybe maybe they sn- steal a win against Clarks and they're up for it against their uh, Hawthorne Reserves or former Hawthorne Football Club that is North Melbourne now. So um, with that, we're going to wrap up the pod. I think we've spoken for long enough on a very dirty day for the Hawks, um, completely outclassed by the Swans. We will be back next week. The Hawks play on Saturday, the 1st of April um, against the fifth place and unbeaten North Melbourne Football Club. Who thought we'd say that at the start of the year? Um, at 1.45, our time at UTAS, uh, University of Tasmania Stadium, um, down at our uh, second home in Launceston. Uh, we are underdogs as we should be. But I think we're a legitimate chance, and Ash thinks we're going to win. So I put that on record right now. I think we're if we're going to be a chance anywhere, we're a chance here. I don't. I think the I think North are a bit of a false economy. But in saying that, they've 
probably got a stronger midfield unit and a couple of key forwards that we're going to have to work very hard to quell. Uh, but that has been the player review podcast for this evening. Thank you so much to Andrew Weiss. Thank you to Darren Levine. Uh, we see, is there any housekeeping that I need to be aware of? No, we'll just have our match review coming out uh, shortly after the pod drops uh, and stay tuned. It'll be a spicy spaces on Wednesday night, I think. Absolutely. I'm sure Brad is already warming himself up to come off the long run on Wednesday night. Thank you so much to everybody who's listened. Uh, If you're not already a subscriber and you'd like to be, uh, $5 a month or $50 for the year, you can subscribe through our Substack. Plenty of fantastic content on there already and heaps more coming. Um, Thank you so much for listening and good night for now. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne footy club coverage.